It's good to see everyone that's here this morning. We're glad you're with us. We have many visitors with us this morning from maybe even just the local area, but uh, there's also several that are from out of the area, out of town, and passing through or visiting, and we're glad that you're here. Hope that we'll be able to say something this morning that will encourage us in our faith and, and build us up and edify us in some way. I was asked to, to give this, this topic. Um, I gave this lesson maybe about four or five years ago. Kind of went back and reworked it a little bit. And some of you may remember it very well, but I'm sure there are some here this morning that have not heard it. But hopefully, again, we can be uh, edified in some way from, from the teaching this morning. I want to go through uh, and, and break down a little bit our, our text for our lesson, James 1, verses 2 through 4. There it reads, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's break it down just a little bit. He says, consider. In other words, think about it. Think about it and regard it uh, to be worthy, in other words, of consideration. He says, think about, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, and, and excuse me, and consider it with pure joy. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. And joy is to delight or to rejoice and have gladness in your heart. In talking about the trials that we enjoy, that we would have find joy in, in other words, the temptations in New King James and the King James Version, it says of many kinds, but he's talking about persecution and poverty, sickness, bereavement, calamity of any kind. Thayer says that this comes from the Greek word parasmos, and it means adversity, affliction, trouble, the trials of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, constancy. And he talks about then the testing of our faith, the proving that by, that by which something is tried or proved, a test. And he talks about this produces perseverance. In other words, the byproduct or what happens at the end of the trial is that, that, that it produces patience and enduring and sustaining, perseverance, steadfastness, constancy, so that there will be not any lacking of anything, will be fully developed and complete. In other words, delight in the trials of life with joy and a joyful perspective and as an opportunity to grow in perseverance. It's all about perspective. It's all about how we look at things. It's all about how we perceive the trial. It's what our outlook is on it, how, what we make of it, in other words. That determines how we react to it. So we can react in the right way, or we can react in a negative way. So imagine the worst trial you could possibly go through. And it may be, you know, we've all gone through, gone through trials. And it could be some of the worst things that we can ever endure in life. There might be money problems. It may be that you lost your job. You can't find another one. You were laid off. It's hard to find a job. Things are getting tight. The money isn't coming in. You can't pay your bills. And this and, and it just continues on and on, whatever it may be. For one person, it may that be that you're going through some medical issues. It may that you be that you had to have... Uh, heart surgery, or you had to have some other kind of surgery, or whatever it may be. Maybe you're dealing with cancer problems. Maybe you know someone that's going through problems with their family and family problems, marital problems, maybe a terminal illness of some kind. Maybe it's that you just got news from that one of your family members passed away from a bad accident, whatever it may be. We may have problems in our own life, but we may also know other people that are going through some very, very trying times in their life. I can think of a couple of people, a young couple up in the Oakdale 
uh, congregation that are going through some trials right now. They have a foster child, had a foster child, and the child was taken away from them and given back to the father who is really no good. To have a child for so long and it becomes one of your own and then have it taken from your arms, don't knowing if you're, not knowing if you're going to get it back or not. We're praying and praying that it looks like maybe they'd be able to get the child back. But that's a major, major trial in a person's life. A medical issue, whatever it may be. Going through these problems, I'm sure there are certain trials that come to mind that have happened in our lives. Trials touch us in one way or another. And anyone who thinks that we'll be able to go through life without any trials is certainly mistaken. Trials and sorrows are a part of life. It's to be expected. And we can know we're going to face troubles and trials at some point. We just don't know sometimes when they're going to come along and hit us. Job was a man that went through all kinds of trials. We've read the story about Job, how his family was taken away from him. Everything was taken away from him, his possessions. And he was left with a wife that said, curse God and die. His own body was struck with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, it says. Also, Abraham's life shows us that we might be tested beyond what we think we will ever be tested. Abraham was tested with the life and giving the life of his only son. I can't imagine a trial like that. I hope that I would never be in put in a position like that. But Abraham passed the test, though. The angel of the Lord said in Genesis 12 and verse 22 and verse 12, Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In other words, Abraham was willing to obey God at any cost. Hebrews 11 and verse 17 tells us very clearly in the first two words, tells a story, he says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. You see, this was a test. God was saying that this is a test, Abraham. We can do the same. We can say to ourselves, well, this problem that I'm dealing with, this disappointment, this trial, this tragedy in my life, these problems in my life, the problems that I'm facing, we can look at ourselves and say, this is a test. This is a test. Am I ready for the test? Remember we used to listen to the radio and they'd hear the beep come along and they would say, this is a test. This is only a test. Well, that's what this life is. When these things come along and we notice the trials that come our way, we can stop and say, and we can go around just all broken down and everything if we want to, or we can say, here it is. This is the test, the test of our faith, just like it was with Abraham. He says, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. How could he do that? Well, in verse 19, he says, concluding or take, taking note of the fact that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You see, Abraham had faith in God that even if he killed his son, God had the ability and the faith in the promise that God had made to him that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And no matter what happened, God would do and fulfill his promise. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that we can make it through to the other side of the most severe problems and trials that we may face in life if we really trust in God. And if we believe that God will keep his promise, that God never makes mistakes, and that God will accomplish his purpose in and through us, 
It is that kind of faith that, faith that passes the test. We have to realize that God is going to test us and allow us to be tested. And the thing that sustains us during those tests is our trust in God. Our faith that God is working all things out for his purpose. Things don't always turn out the way we want. We pray to God. We ask for God to, to bless us in certain ways. We ask God to give us certain things and to help us make it through. And things don't always turn out the way we want. But it's for God's purpose and not necessarily ours that these things are being done. God has a purpose in these things. I know we dream of having a life of ease, that we like to create this perfect environment around us. We make decisions in life so that we have smooth sailing. We don't go out and spend money on this because that's going to present another problem. We're not going to have money for this over here. And we save and we get this job and we work hard and we go to school and we do all these things and we make this decision not to do that or, and to do this. And we do all those things so that we have less problems in our life. And that's what we want. We want less problems in our life. But things don't always work out that way. We, that's the way we want it. But they don't always work out that way. We've planned, but frankly, that's not the way life works. But the fact that we have temporary rest and temporary ease in life fools us sometimes into thinking that we may have it made when that's not the case. What if everything was smooth sailing all the time? We would just think that we didn't need God anymore. When we go through trials, when we go through problems, do we pray more often? I venture to say every one of us do. When things are going easy and we don't have the problems to pray about, we just don't pray as often as we do when we're having the problems. And if we went through life without any problems, then we would kind of get distanced away from God. Jesus said to his disciples and specifically to Peter in Matthew 26 and 41, Watch and pray that you enter not into trials. That same Greek word, periasmos. That same thing. Watch and pray that you enter not into the trials. Watch and look for trials. Pray. Ask for strength. Watch and pray. It would be, wouldn't be long before Peter would understand a little bit more clearly what Jesus was saying here. Because Peter was fixing to face a trial. And he didn't do too well. He didn't do too well. Our confidence is in the presence of God and knowing that he is our helper in times of trials. The psalmist David said in Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is with us. God is on our side. God is our helper. So, I want to notice nine joys that can come th to us through these trials that we face in life. Number one, trials come to test the strength of our faith. There's a great illusion, uh, excuse me, illustration, I'm sorry, in this relating to King Hezekiah. Listen to 2 Chronicles 32 and 31. God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Do you see that? He said, God left him for the purpose of testing, for the purpose of trials, that he might know what was in King Hezekiah's heart. I need to know, and we all need to know, 
the strength of our faith. Sometimes we may think that we're strong. We may get even a little bit arrogant about that. And then a trial comes along and guess what? Not as strong as we thought we were. Maybe we crumble, whatever it may be. But a trial will test your faith. And that's good for us. That's good for us to know when we're weak. It's good to, for us to know that we need to improve on things, that we need to get on our knees a little bit more, and that we need to study a little bit more, and we need to pray a little bit more, and we need to read a little bit more, and we need to have a stronger, firmer foundation in our faith. But a trial will prove to you how strong your faith is. If you're blaming God for your problems, if you're questioning his ability, if you're wondering why this is happening, if you're worried all the time, that's a good indication that maybe there's a problem with your faith. On the other hand, if you're going through the trial and you find yourself at peace in God's promises, comforted by God's presence, having peace in those things, in the trials, and you're putting it in His hands, trusting Him, letting Him bear the burden of it all, and you're going on your way, just dealing with those things in life, then you know and you're strengthened by your faith as well. So we ought to be thankful for the trials because they assist us in letting us know where we stand in our faith. That's very helpful. When Habakkuk was going through the promise that the, uh, that the Chaldeans were going to come to wipe out his people, in spite of all that, Habakkuk said, and this is one of my favorite verses, Habakkuk said, though the fig tree may blossom, may not blossom, excuse me, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail and the, yields, and the fields yield no fruit, food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make me my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills. Things don't go so well in life. We can be like like Job's wife and say, curse God and die and blame everything on God and, and all of our problems and why God aren't you do making our, my life better and, and all these kinds of things and be mad at God or we can say, thank you God for the trial and the testing of my faith. And so the purpose of testing is to reveal what you and I can find out about our faith. Second, we must recognize that trials come to humble us, to come to remind us not to think more confidently in our spiritual life, our spiritual strength, than we should. They come not only to show us our strength, but they come to humble us so that we don't think that we're stronger than we are. This is illustrated by Paul, and, and through all the things he accomplished, he might become proud and boastful. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations... A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Barnes notes, says, comments on this, and it says, lest I should be spiritually proud, lest I should become self-confident and vain and suppose that I was a special favorite in heaven. Trials will humble us when we think Maybe we're a little bit too, too uh, set much, much set on a pedestal. We must realize that God allows the trials, especially when we're so blessed that we don't, that we shouldn't think too confidently of ourselves. Trials keep us in check. Also, number three, I also believe the Lord brings trials in our lives to wean us away from worldly things. You know, 
it seems like as we get on in life and we get older in life that the things of life, the things that are going to go away when the Lord comes again, the things that will be burned up, the things that we possess, the things that we strive for in life, they become less important to us the older we get. When we're young, we're going after it. We want to get that good job and we want to put the money away and we work hard to be able to buy this thing and that thing and this car and this and that and whatever it may be. And we put all of our effort into things on this earth and then heavenly things, spiritual things fall by the wayside. Our efforts in those things and our work towards those things go by the wayside. You know, when problems and trials come into your life and all those worldly things stop making so much more importance in our lives, they don't mean very much, if anything. When you're laying in a hospital bed and you're on the edge of death, maybe, or you're battling a disease or a problem in your life, those things don't amount to anything. So I think that trials are here to wean us away from worldly things. I think about Moses. He'd been raised in Pharaoh's house. He'd been brought up as a prince in Egypt. He was educated. He had reached the top of Egyptian society. He was in a place of prominence. He had it made. In Hebrews 11 and 24 through 27, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. But by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured and seeing him who is invisible. Moses had gotten his eyes off of all the things that were around him, all of the riches and all the, the prominence and the position that we, he was in, and he looked to God and realized what was important. The things were not important. So the Lord uses trials to wean us off those worldly things, and trials will do that. Number four, I think the trials will help us to focus on our eternal hope. I don't know how they work for you, but I know with me they tend to make me desire heaven a little bit more. When we see all the things that are going on around us, all the sin and all the fighting and all the, just everything that we see, we can look at heaven and heaven becomes a lot sweeter. Heavenly things. Our eternal hope if your life you've been laying away treasures in heaven, you're going to be very, very distant relationship with the temporal things, with the things of this life. So trials tend to show us the waste in the things of this world. Romans 8 and verses 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which we sh shall be revealed in us. Paul continues in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it, wait for it with perseverance. 
we can go through all these problems in life. We can go through the trials and, and it can be some of the worst things that we will ever endure in life. But we still have hope. We still have an eternal hope. Regardless of what happens, our hope and eternal life is one thing that is such a joy that we can have faith in. Also, trials cause us to think on divine things, heavenly things. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose, lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then in verse 18, he says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So don't worry about the things here on earth. Don't focus on those things. Think on heavenly things. Think about the things that are eternal. Next, I want to notice the trials also reveal that we, what, about what we really love. The illustration of Abraham and Isaac is one. That was a test of Abraham's love for God. It was a test for Isaac and for Abraham. This, but this was Abraham's choice. If you're going to love God, you're going to say, thank you, God, for what I'm going through what you can accomplish in me while going through this. Thank you for what I'm learning. Thank you for helping me test my faith. Thank you for the trial and helping me see where I am. But if we really love ourselves, we're going to say, why are you putting me through this, God? Why am I going through this? Why am I having trouble? and trials, and time after time, and it seems like I get out of one, and it's the other one's just coming right down on me again. Or before I even get through this, here's another one loaded on top of me, and another one loaded on top of me. We need to stop and thank God for those trials and testing us and letting Him work us through those. If our attitude isn't right, or if our perspective isn't right, then Satan is the one that's controlling that. Satan is winning. And one thing we want to notice is that God doesn't tempt us. God allows us to be tempted. God allows us to go through trials. God tests us. Temptation is, is the devil's work. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But will with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. That doesn't mean that he doesn't allow certain things to come my way. But God has told us how to deal with temptation. He has told us how to deal with sin. He has told us how to be, deal with disappointment. He has told us how to deal with all these problems in life. And there's nothing that God can't do. And the things that we can't turn away from as well. See, sometimes people create their own problems in life. Deuteronomy 13 and verse 3, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So what do we love? The Lord's testing us to see who we really love, whether we love him with all of our heart and our soul. Luke 14 and 26 and 27, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, 
and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, he says that we need to hate everybody, including ourselves. No, that's not what he says or what he means here. If you go back to strong, uh, the Greek, the word from strong says to love less than. So in other words, if there's things that we love more than God, that's a problem. That's a problem in our life. If there are things that we put before God, that's a problem. So we need to love God. So it tests our love towards God, these trials do. Trials teach us to value the blessings of God. We're taught these days to value these things. If you turn on the television, it doesn't take very long. It's things. You need to have this to be happy. You need to buy this to be happy. You need to put this into your home. You need to put this on your car. You need to put this kind of clothing on your body because this will make you happy. You need to drink this liquid. You need to drink that liquid. You need to do all these other things to be happy in life. It's all about things in life. And that's the only way that you can find pleasure and peace in life is to have all these things. Well, we are blessed. But the blessings, the, the trials are, teach, are to teach us the value of the blessings of God. Jesus went through trials and obeyed his Father. And there was a blessing. Notice in Hebrews 5 and verses 7 through 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What was the blessing in Jesus' trials? What was the blessing in his sacrifice? Eternal salvation to us. So we have to look at the trials that come into our life. There's gonna be a blessing at the end. We don't see that right now. We don't feel that right now. We don't, we want that, but it's going to be at the end that we see the blessing. Trials come to us through the suffering and we get, to the, get us to the other side that we may obey in the suffering and then receive the blessing through the trials on the other side. Number eight, trials and suffering come to enable us to help others in their suffering. Sometimes when suffering comes, it may have no other purpose than to make us better able to help and assist others in their trials and their suffering as well. Notice in the 22nd chapter of Luke where Jesus says to Peter, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, he says, strengthen your brother. He said to Peter, basically, Peter, when you've gone through all this, when you get to the other side of this, your job is going to be take what you've learned and strengthen the brother. There's the blessing. There's the blessing to be able to use it to help others in their own suffering. That's like Jesus in Hebrews, the fourth chapter and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Also listen in Hebrews 2 and verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. 
People who know grief know how to grieve with you. People who know loss know what it means to lose someone or something close. People who know struggles know, to ha know how to, what it's like to battle a disease and can comfort you in that. People who know disappointment know what it's like to not get a job or promotion or, or what you're praying for. They know how to help you through that. People that know the trials that maybe we're experiencing know how to comfort and help you. So we go through trials for the purpose of being able to help others. Help others in their walk. Help others in their struggles and maybe with even their faith to encourage them in their trials. And I want to say that something else right now. When you're going through a struggle, let your brothers and sisters know about it. How bad it is for you. So we can pray with you and for you. Don't keep it to yourself. We're here to help. To grieve and to comfort. To encourage. To pray with you. If we don't know what's going on, we can't help. So when you're having problems, let someone know. Let us know. So that we can help. Because maybe some of us have gone through some of the same problems. And we're here to help. Then finally, trials come to develop greater strength and greater usefulness to God. Thomas Melton, a 17th century English preacher said, while all things are quiet and comfortable, we live by sense or feelings rather than faith. But the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. When we go through a trial, we come out on the other end of it stronger. When your faith is exercised, when you're, when you're going through problems and, and your spiritual muscles are being exercised and worked and worked and worked, you come out on the other end of it stronger. Then we're more useful to God. We're more useful to other people. We can help people through their struggles and things like that. So let God use you. So let's sum it up. What is God's purpose as he tests us? It's to test our faith. Test the strength of our, the strength of our faith that we may know where our strength is or isn't. It's to humble us so we don't think more confidently of our spiritual strength than we should. It's to wean us away from worldly things. It's to call us to a heavenly hope. It's to help us think and focus on heavenly things to reveal what we really love, to teach us value of the blessings of God and, to, and appreciate those blessings as they come at us, to enable us to help others in their trials and to bear one another's burdens, to develop enduring strength for greater usefulness to God so that God can use us more for the cause of Christ. Trials are going to come and there's no way of avoiding them. You know, trials are going to come at us and we might say, well, I don't know what God's purpose is in this. I don't know why I'm going through this. What's going to be accomplished? We want to get to the other side of it. And sometimes that, so that other side is short-lived. It can be very rapid, and sometimes it can take years and years and years to get through something to the other side before we realize that was, a, that was a strengthening, that was a blessing, that was a trial that was hard to endure. So if we go back to James 1, verse 3, this is knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and endures endurance and perseverance. It says trials are going to come. Testing of your faith is going to come. But let's notice what 
will get us through to the other side. First, it takes a joyful attitude. That's that perspective we talked about at the beginning. He says, my brother encountered joy. This means persevering in and through the trial with the right attitude, a joyous attitude. Secondly, in verse 3, we must have an understanding mind. He says, knowing that, that the testing is producing something. There's something that's going to be the end product. It will produce something. And thirdly, in verse 4, we must have a submissive will. He said, let patience have its perfect work. In other words, let the trial happen. Endure the trial because it is the work of God in your life. Let God work in your life. If God is not working in your life, the devil is. And if you let him get the upper hand, he will come out the other side with a bitter attitude and mad and, and just in all kinds of, of uh, distress in life. Fourth, verses 5 through 8, we must have a believing heart. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Have faith in what we ask for without any doubting. Believe God that he's able to take care of it. And he's able to accomplish what we desire, but realize it is still his will and his good that is working in us. And finally, in verses 4, 9 through 11, we must have a humble spirit. Let the, lowly, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it, is, it withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So you persevere through trials with a joyous attitude, attitude, an understanding mind, a submissive will, a believing heart, and a humble spirit. But then in verse 12, James tells us what happens when we make it through the trial. Blessed is the man that endures the temptation or the trials. For when he has been approved, in other words, when he's been made, he's made it to the other side of the trial, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's what the other side is. That's what's at the end of the trial, is the blessings that we have in God. There's a story I just heard this last week, and, and it's an old story. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know. I hadn't heard it before. About a teenage daughter going to her father and just complaining about everything that's going on wrong in her life. All the struggles she was facing, all the difficulties, the problems, just said she didn't know if she could really take much more of it to her father. And so the father goes into the kitchen and he takes three pots and he puts them on the stove and puts water in them and he turns on the fire and begins to boil the water. The water starts boiling and he takes a potato and he puts it in one pot. He takes an egg and he puts it in another pot. And he takes up some ground coffee and he puts it in the third pot. And after about 20 minutes or so, he turns the fire off and he takes the potato out and he puts it in a, in a bowl. He takes the egg out and he puts it in a bowl. And he takes a sifter or a strainer and strains the ground coffee into a cup. And he tells his daughter, what do you see? She says, well, there's a potato, there's an egg, and some coffee. He says, look a little closer and touch the potato. Feel the potato. And feel the egg, or peel the egg. He says, what do you notice? He said, well, the potato has got softer. I can squish it, and I can push on it. And the egg, he says, peel it, peel it off the egg. She said, well, what was once delicate and could crack and, and spill out onto the floor is now hard. And he says, take a sip of the, of the coffee and the aroma 
and the smell of the coffee. He says, what does that, what does that teach you? Well, you see, there were three things there, and, and all three of those things were exposed to the same environment, the boiling water, but they all reacted differently. He said the food represents the three ways people face the same adver adversities. The boiling water is, is the troubles in life that we face. But all three things face the same thing. The potato that was once hard is now soft and softened. The egg that was once liquid form is now hardened and become hard. And the coffee has changed form into something completely different. And he said, which are you? To his daughter. I believe it's a kind of a powerful story, honestly, when we constantly get knocked down in life, how we react to certain things and how we embrace them. You can take a person that is very hard and rigid, and a trial will soften them up. And you can take somebody that's very tender, and it'll make them hard. And you can take someone that just takes on those trials and does the best they can with them and gets something very good out of it. It teaches you to grow and to adapt to the adversity that is around you and that you're dealing with. But James says in verse, James 1 and verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Remember the slide I showed earlier about how we like to have our lives go? Trials are not fun and enjoyable. No one likes having problems in life. We know trials will come. It's going to happen. So let's prepare our hearts for how we're going to react to those things, whether we're going to embrace those trials or whether we're going to let them destroy us. It can de devastate us or it can be a blessing to make us a better, stronger person and more helpful to others and also more helpful to the cause of Christ. There's another little story I heard this week about this, this man said, you know, if I, if I have a basketball that's worth about maybe 15 to $20 in my hands, you put that basketball in Le LeBron James' hands and it's worth about maybe 30 to $40 million. It's about whose hands it's in. You take a football in my hands, maybe it's worth $20, $25, but you put that football in the hands of Peyton Manning or one of these other uh, highly paid football players and, and quarterbacks, and it becomes worth millions of dollars. It depends on whose hands it's in. You put a slingshot in my hands, and I remember when I was a kid, I could use a slingshot, not the ones you pull back this way, the ones you sling like David did, and you put it in my hands, and I may be able to knock the side of a barn down eventually, but you put it in the hands of King David, and it slew Goliath and sent the Philistines away. You give me five loaves and two fishes and I can eat that myself in my hands and have plenty left over, but you put five loaves and two fishes in the hands of Jesus and it'll fill a, fill a multitude of people. It depends on whose hands it's in. You take a couple of nails and put them in my hands and I may be able to mend a fence Maybe able to fend, mend a, bro, a broken rocking chair or hang a picture on the wall, but you put those two nails in the hands of Jesus, and it'll, it'll, it'll turn into eternal salvation. It depends on whose hands it's in. All your cares and worries in life in our hands, we try to fix everything in our life by ourselves without faith in God, and it'll accomplish nothing. But you put it in God's hands, and he'll get you through it. 
It depends on whose hands it's in. 1 Peter 5 and 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may be able to exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Put it in God's hands and quit worrying about it. Remember, it's our perspective that we have to focus on in life, and that's how we find joy in trials. The lesson is yours this morning. I hope that we've said something that will benefit us and encourage us and build us up in the faith. If you are here this morning and you are not a child of God and hearing the word, won't you believe it? Won't you repent of your life? Repentance means a change of life, a change of mind which results in a change of, of life. That means we are going in one direction, we turn around and we walk in the other direction towards God and towards Christ. After we repent, we want to confess the name of Christ, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just like the Ethiopian nobleman did in Acts the 8th chapter. Then we want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. That what's, that's what washes away our sins. That's what adds us to the church. That what, that's what makes us a child of God in God's eyes. If you've taken those steps, for some reason you've turned away, and you've done things that you feel requires a public confession of those faults, won't you come with a repenting heart, and we'll pray with you and for you. Come always stand and sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.